So it's good to see everyone today. We're continuing our secret series from week two. And if you missed last week, we, we covered uh, Marina's Secret. And uh, that's on our website. You can catch up with that on iTunes podcast. It's on YouTube as well. Today, we're looking at Greg's Secret. And I'm going to be turning to uh, the book of Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. I'll be preaching from that. Uh, but I, I want to give a PG-13 warning on this. So parents, if you've got young kids in the room, most of this will go over their heads. Just keep them distracted with coloring books and things like that and screens, you know. This is acceptable Sunday to put, allow your kid to watch a show. Uh, well, I'll allow it at least today. Uh, that's a joke, by the way. Whatever. All right. So, um, but just just fair warning on that, that the, the, this, this subject matter is a more sensitive uh, issue, and, but it's something that as a culture we're grappling with, and as a church we have to address uh, head on. So we're going to roll with Greg's video, and then I'll be up uh, after that. Very private, very hidden, very shameful, you know, areas of sin in my life. grade school. Uh, I would go to Sunday school. My, my parents wanted me to go to Sunday school, so I would go, you know, most Sundays and learn the Bible stories, um, make some friends there, um, and just was kind of in that space for um, all the way up and through, up until I was, I was confirmed uh, in eighth grade, just being raised in a church that did that kind of thing. My struggle and kind of the journey through, like, struggling with, with uh, with like pornography has been one that started pretty early in my life. Um, just even feeling very, and I, I really connected a lot to feelings of isolation and perfectionism and just fear about parts of my life. And that thing that started at a very, very young age when my grandfather died when I was five years old. Died too young, it wasn't you know something that we had seen for a long time coming and I was really close to him. I didn't really have a lot. I didn't know, how to, didn't know how to process that at that age. And um, I remember feeling very, just like the world was turned upside down. And um, uh, things, like, things that would happen to me, it kept on going throughout my life where I would, I would need, or I would want to uh, find a way to kind of cope with, with those feelings. Every day, just waking up with a lot of, uh, I guess, anxiety and shame around how I would come across to others, how I would, um, just be able to kind of live my daily life. This is what I had to do, but really having a hard time knowing how to deal with that. In those years, I also developed um, uh, something of, of, of a, a like stutter um, in, in those years, kind of going, you know, as I was going through through grade school and through middle school, high school and on. But I got some help with uh, a speech pathologist for a little bit, but it still didn't really deal with like not feeling comfortable in my own skin with my, just, just with that difficulty. You know, that kind of a difficulty, that, that issue needed to, find, needed to find a way out. And for whatever reason, um, um, you know, pornography was the way that that, but there was just a lot of opportunity uh, to, to find it, a lot of knowledge of how to find it. And uh, it was just a, a part of my, my journey um, uh, that just, uh, you know, didn't go away or get better. Maybe for some people it, you know, goes away or gets better, but not for me. It got um, worse and worse, kind of, you know, at the time really feeling like I had to earn it. I had to earn my faith. I had to earn my salvation, not really knowing what grace truly was when it came to faith and salvation, but feeling like that obviously I'm, you know, I'm never going to earn it. Of course, none of us can, but I feel like I had to, 
but this was really keeping me back from doing it. So there's just a lot of fear of God in the in the in the bad sense of like hiding from God, fear and hiding, and this kind of secret part of me. This and that kind of gave me um, a reason to. Um, you know, start living something of a double life, kind of kind of being used to that kind of a mindset and a model. I can just pretend like I don't actually have this problem when I'm with others because if my if my goal is just to look good or to, you know, act a certain way or, or come across like I am not struggling with something, if that's the goal, then okay, um, I, I can do that. You know, I can have both of these things be true at the same time. Um, not realizing at the time that that's not sustainable that's uh, that's an uh, unmanageable way to live you don't only have one master you can't you can't have it both ways you know until i came to to, to to trinity church where i really started to understand grace and even though i hadn't really gained a whole lot more tools on how to deal with my problem i still i felt like there was space to explore it and that i didn't actually have to keep these things secret. Um, started to tell people in general after I had that, you know, after I had that you know, conversion experience in college, but it was slow. It was a slow kind of coming to terms with it and telling people. But once I uh, came to Trinity, it became a lot, um, became, wouldn't say a lot more ready to do it, but marginally more ready to do it. It was like happening in steps. I, I think part of the reason I would talk about it and try to get some accountability and try to confess when it was happening, try to do things to keep it at bay. Well, I think a lot of the reason was because I felt like I it was, it was the right thing to do, like it was what God wanted me to do, it's what was just, you know, expected. Um, especially starting to get into like church leadership, something that was just expected of a, of a church leader to do. And I know that I wanted to do it for myself to some degree, but it wasn't a strong enough desire personally to be, to be rid of. You know, I got married uh, to my wife, Andrea, back in uh, 2013. And, you know, she was aware of this issue of my life. And I was in that space of having a lot more victory over it than I had previously had, but still, you know, wasn't really quite the place that it needed to be, um, of just really being able to say no to it on a consistent kind of long-term basis. And we were in the counseling together. And, um, you know, so I had lots of opportunity to talk about it. And I had for a while. And I had some accountability with people in the church. I was talking about it, but then the summer of uh, 2014, I just um, decided I was just going to stop talking about it. Like there's like I would I would always confess it the next time when when we were pregnant back in 2016. I actually had a miscarriage, um, and I remember coming back from the doctor appointment where we had learned about it and thinking to myself like somehow this is my fault. <laughs> this is my fault that you know I I've been. I, I've, I've been harboring this secret. I've been living in this sin, and this is the way that God's punishing me for it. I, I had told God at some point in the previous few months, like, okay, I will talk about this if you send me to the hospital. That's when I know I'm gonna, it's gonna be bad enough that I'm gonna have to talk about it. So I had appendicitis, and I went to the hospital, and that was, uh, April 6th of 2017, and um, so there I was in the hospital, and I didn't talk about it. So I didn't hold up my end of the bargain. Uh, six days later, on April 12th, um, I woke up with a panic attack. I, you know, 
I didn't know what was going on. I, I, I had struggled with, with some health anxiety in the years previous. Um, and I was like, maybe I'm having, your premises is truly, finally I'm having a heart attack. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm actually going to be dying right now. And I just did not, what was, I did not know what was going on. I was, I was really, really, um, just in a bad place. The more at the, at the point at, at, at two o'clock in the morning. And my wife came out of the room and said, what's going on? And um, and I said I just needed to go to the hospital. I didn't. I didn't have enough words to say what I felt. But I said I got to go back to the hospital. And so, you know, she called an ambulance because it just seemed like such an emergency. And, you know, as she was coming back from calling the ambulance, I just felt God say to me, like, you need to tell her right now. Like, this is the moment to tell her what's going on. And I did. I didn't have all the words to say, but I just told her that I had been. I had continued to struggle with 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 you know with a pornography, and I've been hiding it. And there you go. <laughs> so it just it came out in that moment, and I wouldn't recommend having that be the way that you you confess it because that's pretty traumatic for you know everybody involved. But that's where I was at. That's where God had brought me to. We we were you know separated for a couple of weeks just to kind of let some of the dust settle, and you know there, 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 there's various reasons for why we did that, but. You know, divorce was on the table, and my wife said you know, she wanted to stay with me, and I felt so grateful for that. Felt very undeserving of that, um, and just felt like motivated, of course, to really get help. But for the first time ever, I wanted it for myself more than for anybody else. I, you know, started, um, you know, going to a 12-step you know, program for, for more help with it, started talking about it more in my church community, telling people, I, 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 went, I went on the offensive, as I called it, I went on the offensive in talking about it, like that I wasn't waiting for people to ask about it, or maybe it would come up, I was just, you know, people who were, who were safe and appropriate people to talk about it with, I was just sharing what was going on in my life. You know, day by day, month by month, I, I feel um, a, a real strong sense that I, I'm, I'm free in Christ. Like I'm, I'm free from, 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 from the worst of what I would call a, a like a true addiction. That I, you know, kind of the ongoing pull in that in that direction to always say say yes to sin and say no to God. I feel like it's the opposite now, where I feel more able to say yes to God. Thank you to the freedom He's given me and the tools that I, I've learned to help with this. But there's always that risk of falling back into it if I kind of kind of if I let it because um, it will get worse and worse I, I realize if I stop talking about it again if I go back into a place of isolation and fear and hiding then you know the enemy is going to use that to keep on building um, kind of more and more shame where I'm going to put myself back in that place. So I need to, so there's a sense of I need to be aware that um, there's always a possibility where um, I, I could be, you know, I, I could be attacked spiritually in this way because knowing it has been a weak point for me, um, there's always that risk of kind of using this as a way to cope and not giving it to God. But, but again, that's, that, that'd be my, my choice to do that. I'm, I'm free to not but I could choose to do that and I don't want to. I want to keep on walking um, you know, towards God, asking for his help, being, being connected to, to the true vine you know, day after day and receiving just, just for today what I need to say yes to God and to say no to sin and keep on 
um, telling the truth, um, you know, if and when there's ever an issue, to keep, keep telling the truth and ask for God's help. And to once again, kind of an ongoing basis, feel that grace from other people that I, I felt before. Greg, Greg's sitting over here. Let's give Greg a, a round of applause. It's not easy to share that stuff, but I re really appreciate your humility and openness in sharing that with us. Uh, my sermon also has a PG-13 warning to it, so parents just, you know, cover those little ears if you need to at any point. Um, you know, the, 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 the subject of pornography is something that has to be approached with both compassion um, and with confrontation. We have to confront it, something that we have, if we're struggling with it, we, like Greg did, he had to confront it, has to be confronted in our lives, but also a great deal of compassion because we know that those who are trapped in this uh, are caught up in this, enslaved in this, which is many, many people in our culture because of the pervasiveness of it and the ease of it, um, is that it has destroyed lives. This has destroyed marriages. This has destroyed people's livelihood. This has destroyed people's health. Uh, this has, in part, um, contributed to the destruction of some churches as well um, because it's such a, a twisted, dark thing. My goal today is to help anyone struggling with pornography or any sexual sin or even actually, yeah, even beyond that, other vices that we may have, um, but my goal today would be to help move us all closer towards freedom. And that even today, some may even have a, a massive breakthrough. Sometimes you have big breakthroughs. Sometimes it's little bit by little bit progress. Sometimes you ha can have a leap forward. And I, I pray for that today, that there's at least progress, but if not something dramatic that God would do today. Before we get into this subject matter, before I pray and read the Bible, let me, let me say this. You need to open your mind. You need to have a really open mind. Because I'm going to share some things. I'm going to share some things from God's Word, whether this is your struggle or not. We've got to be vigilant. This could become your struggle, or you may have a loved one who struggles with this. You have to be open-minded. If you don't approach the subject of dealing with something like pornography with an open mind in terms of learning actually how to overcome it, then we're in danger of being enslaved to it. This process, learning to become free, can actually be a joyful, enlightening, growing, deepening experience because you learn so much about who God is, about who you are, and about how God's made you. And so this process, so open, be, be more open-minded than you've ever been before. Get rid of all of those thoughts that might say, well, this doesn't apply to you, or just ignore this, or this doesn't matter. Ignore all of that. Have the, the, because your, our ability to actually respond to God's truth affects the fruitfulness that we can display and we can experience from that. Let me pray, and then we're going to turn to God's Word. Lord, we thank you so much for Greg's uh, testimony and uh, just his willingness to share that and be so open about it. And Lord, we just, I just pray for anyone today with us in person or online who uh, this is their battle or this may be their battle in the future. I pray, God, uh, for freedom. I pray for, for your power to set people free, uh, to break the chains today. And uh, Lord, I just, and for all those who are affected by this, Lord, to give grace and compassion. And uh, Lord, that we would learn from your word today 
In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians 3, verses 5 through 15. Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And also, sorry, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." This is God's word. Now, um, uh, it says here that um, you know the Bible doesn't ever disguise the fact that God is pretty disgusted about human evil and human sin. And as a church, we've never apologized for God's wrath against evil. It says it in these verses. There's no hiding it. It's throughout the Bible. God's wrath and judgment comes against those who perpetrate evil and perpetrate sin and do destructive things in the world. So we can't apologize for that. That's just the way it is. That's reality. And actually, that's justice. That's a good thing. You know, we, we, there are things we hate as well. There are lots of things we hate that we get angry about as well. We're angry about sex trafficking. We're angry about uh, abuse. We're angry about uh, racism. We're angry about injustice. You know, we get angry about all kinds of things. You know, we're angry about the DMV, you know, um, you, you, you forget your, your phone charger in your hotel room. You know, we get really angry about all kinds of things. And it turns out that, that God is uh, far holier than we are, has far, far higher standards than we have. And so um, it's kind of hypocritical that, that if we get annoyed or we don't like the fact that God's angry about evil things, God is really bothered about evil things. Now, Colossians is saying that we have a responsibility, that we need to work at putting to death evil things in our lives, sinful things in our lives. And it gives us a list of things, a couple of lists, actually, in this passage we read. There's more things in the Bible that are talked about. We've got to actively work towards putting them to death. And it also tells us here that it's not just putting them to death, but it's also activating and living into the good things of God, living out the good works of God. So there's two, two approaches to this. We're, we're putting something to death, but we're also bringing something to life at uh, the same time. 
And so the Bible here is giving us permission to go nuclear on sin, to go, to go all in on getting rid of sinful things and evil things in our lives, giving us permission to do this. It actually says, put it to death. Now imagine, it's a brutal thing to imagine, but imagine if, I mean, maybe you've had to put an animal out of its misery before, or you've seen someone do that. You've seen it on a show with city people, so we don't tend to do that, unless you find a skunk in your neighborhood, which uh, we've seen some skunks. They used to live in our backyard, actually. Um, so, but that's, you know, but even if you had to defend somebody's life against somebody else and you ended up having to take a life out of defense of somebody else, like, you know, it would take, you know, it wouldn't just be something you'd be doing off the side here with one hand, not looking at, you know, it would, I mean, to, to take a life, to put something to death, I mean, it, it involves, I mean, your, your adrenaline's going to be pumping. It involves everything of you, all of your strength and energy to overpower this thing, to stop what's happening. And the Bible is giving us permission to say, that's the kind of energy, that's the kind of seriousness. And Greg got to that point where for a long time he, he wasn't there. And then something changed and he was like, I need to do this now. I, I, I have to go on the offensive. That's what, how he described it. I have to go on the offensive. The Bible wants us to take the kill shot as it relates to pornography. To take the kill shot. And it tells us here in verse 5... The kill shot tells us, you know, things we're, we're, we're to put to death, we're to murder these things, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, that's evil passion, because passion can be a positive thing too, but here it means it in a negative sense, evil desire and covetousness. And then in verse 8, it also says to put away anger, wrath, so that's, you know, unjust wrath, uh, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Now, um, the world of what's interesting about the world of, of pornography is that all of these sins that are listed here all intersect in the cesspool known as the pornographic industry. The first thing that's mentioned in the list that the Apostle Paul mentions is, is sexual immorality. This is a phrase that's used time and again throughout the New Testament, throughout the Bible. What does this word mean? It means exactly as it sounds immoral sex wrong sex. There are, there's, there's a right way. You know, God's designed sex in a good way. So sex is a good thing. If we didn't have sex, we would, none of us would exist. So when our species would continue, would, would die out. So we need it to exist. So it's a good thing. God's given it, but it can be used in immoral ways. And the Bible has great consistency and great clarity. It paints a very clear, very consistent picture about what is moral to do with sex and what is immoral to do with sex. So we learn over the, the entire Bible, we learn that sex is designed for the covenant of marriage. And in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus gives us a definition of marriage that is between husband and wife. And, you know, now, we still love you if you don't agree with that. But what we would say is, if you want to follow Jesus, if you're interested in the things of the Bible, that is the teaching of the Scripture. And we love Jesus, and we love His words. And so we want to take those things seriously because we believe... That they're not just good for us, but they're right. That they're right. So we have standards, though, right? We have our own standards as it relates to sex. Our culture has standards. Those standards are changing. They have been changing for a while, since the 60s, I guess, or even before that, perhaps. But they've been changing, and they're radically changing as well. But we still have some standards, don't we? So most people would say, you know, adultery is wrong. Hopefully, people would say rape is wrong. Hopefully, people would say bestiality is wrong. 
Hopefully people would say pedophilia is wrong, although actually that one is being challenged. That one, there are, there are forces in our culture that are trying to reframe that uh, and trying to excuse that actually, which is sick. And the pornographic industry is, plays a part in that as well. It turns out, so we have standards. There are things that we say, yeah, that's wrong. Yeah, that is totally wrong. Doesn't matter who they are, they shouldn't be doing that. That's absolutely wrong. Turns out that God as the designer and creator of sex and sexuality and gender, all these things, the designer and maker of it, he has higher standards than we have. He's holier than we are. He's better than we are. He has a purpose and a design for things that we need to give ourselves to because it's better for us, it's better for the world, and it gives us our relation, actually helps us relate to God, helps us know God. When these things are, when we're trapped in immoral acts, in in sexually immoral acts, we're first and foremost, damaging our relationship with God. Some people don't see it that way. They say, well, no, actually, I found it quite freeing and enjoyable. They don't realize they're completely damaging their relationship with God. God has higher standards than us. So it turns out in God's world that fornication is out of the question. That's If you don't know it, uh, Google No, don't Google it. That'd be a bad idea. Uh, it's sex before marriage, so that one's off the, off the list. That was, that was almost a dangerous uh, thing there. All right, uh, um, masturbation. Hey, that's outside of the confines. That's immoral. Um, lust as well. All these things. Anything, any, any behavior, any sexual behavior that's, that, that's not honoring to the designer of sexuality and not honoring to those made in God's image is immoral. And nobody feels good after engaging in these deviant and these destructive and divisive behaviors or actions, right? Nobody feels good about it. Well, let me, let me reframe that, actually. You can get yourself to a place where you're neutral on it, or you, you convince yourself it's good. Um, that can happen. You can kill that God-given moral compass that you have, that conscience that you have. But if you think back to, if you've ever experienced these things, and you think back to that first experience, there is something inside you that you knew this was shameful. I shouldn't tell anyone. I need to hide it. And any time you need to hide something, that's the clearest sign it's wrong. Anytime we have to hide something from somebody else, that's a clear sign this is, this is wrong. That's the God-given conscience. And you can kill that, sadly, over time. Now, look, I'm not here to condemn anyone. I'm not here to condemn anyone. In my past, I've had my struggles with pornography as well. Most men I know have. Praise God for those who haven't. But most men have, and a growing percentage of women as well, out of curiosity, out of all kinds of different reasons, this is their struggle as well. But there's some really good news. There's some really good news. Anyone, anyone can learn the mindset that's necessary for breaking free from pornographic use. That's the good news. Anyone can. Actually, because, I mean, there are people that aren't believers that... If you, if you look up stories of people breaking this habit, there are all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds. But I, I would argue that Christians, we have the greatest reason and the greatest tools and the greatest power to break free. Anyone can break free. Now, we're told to put to death the, you know, what is earthly in us. And here's the earthly nature. We're going to, to investigate the earthly nature of pornographic use. The earthly nature of it and Greg was, was very direct and very helpful in setting this up. Pornographic use is an addiction. It's an addiction. It doesn't matter the frequency. 
Some people have, you know, are more frequent than others, of course, that there can be a range of frequency in people's experience. But if we keep coming back to it, then it has power over us. It has power over us, which means we're addicted to it. Now, we might try to deny addiction. We might, may try to deny that and reject and say, no, 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 I'm not addicted to that. There's no way that I would, would, would hide away in secret and, and, and flood my body with addicting chemicals. You know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a heroin user or something like that, right? We might have those kind of thoughts. And if we have those kind of thoughts, then really what we're doing is we're, we're allowing the, the sin of pride to keep us trapped in the sin of pornography. We're allowing the sin of pride to keep us trapped in the sin of pornography. Because this is such a pervasive thing in our culture, because the vast majority of men and, and a growing number, growing percentage of women as well have been stuck into this. And Greg's, given, oh, Greg's opened the door for you today, for anyone, for all of any of us who are struggling with this. Greg's opened the door wide. Today's the day to admit it. Today's the day. This is the day. There's no need to go another day without admitting it. So the first step is internally, if this is you, is to say in your own mind, is to say, I have a pornographic addiction. That's the first, first person you need to admit it to. Because you actually can't get to a place of, of repentance without being there first. You have to see that first. Yeah, this is, I'm, I'm addicted to something. Because if, think about it, if you could have given it up already, you would have. The reason that we can't is because it has power over us. It has power over us. Now, this is not an excuse. I'm not trying to make an, I'm not trying to excuse it and say, well, it's okay, you know, we'll just let people dabble with it, or a little bit's okay, or none of that. It's, it's destructive. We want, to get, we want to completely get rid of it. We want to completely have, 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 have victory over it and get it out, over, out of our lives. But, but I bring this up, this issue of addiction, because if you walked in on a loved one, injecting themselves with heroin, you would obviously be shocked and horrified and afraid and scared, but you would probably also think, you'd probably at some point have some compassion, I hope, and realize they're not in their right mind. They're, they're under the influence. Something has power over them that's causing them to just act out in a way that's not really how they would want to act in their right mind. They, they, they've been, they're being controlled by something else. And yes, it's been their choice. Yes, they, they've gone down that pathway. But I, I hope we would have compassion uh, for that. Now, I do know that this is really hard on marriages. You know, if, 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 and just to say, if you're single and you're hoping that when you get married, it'll go away, it won't. It probably, from, I've got to tell you, most people I know who have struggled with this before marriage, it gets worse, tends to get worse after marriage. Marriage is not the cure for this. And the church has been terrible. The church at large has been terrible at just telling people marriage is the solution to all your problems. Um, no, marriage creates all kinds of problems in people's lives, all right? Um, but just to say to spouse, if this is not your problem, but you're married to someone or you know someone who this is their problem or you discover this is their problem, that, you know, these verses, with, you know, these verses in, in Colossians are powerful ones to memorize because it talks about having compassion and it talks about forgiveness. If you have, if you have a complaint, which, is, which would be a big complaint, this would be a big complaint, pornographic use, it'd be a real feel like a real violation, but it's really not about you. It's about, it's about this person having an addiction. And so having forgiveness, being willing to forgive. And actually the challenge for you is if this is not your struggle, the challenge for you is to not become addicted to unforgiveness, to not become addicted to bitterness 
and resentment, to not, to not hold on to those things. That, that would be the temptation. To, because the problem with sin is sin, if we respond badly to sin, we create more sin. That's the sucky thing about it. Yeah, sin happens, and then it usually gets worse. It makes more of different types of sin. You know, that always bothers me if someone sins against me, and then I sin in reaction. I'm like, yeah, but they started it. And it's, you know, but now I have to apologize. And that's just one of the annoying things about sin is. So as we grow in maturity, we, we have to realize I don't want to, I also don't want to be trapped. I don't want to be tempted into sin myself. You know, not to excuse it. Again, not to excuse it. It needs to be defeated. It needs to be taken seriously. But to have compassion and have forgiveness for it. Married couples need to discuss it. Definitely don't Google it. Definitely discuss it. Avoid the Googling of the things. But we have to understand the nature of it. We have to understand. If we don't understand the addictive nature of pornography, we'll never get freedom from it. We'll never get freedom from it. So let me, let me dive deep into some of this right now to help give us a framework to how to think about uh, addiction. And I would actually encourage anyone who's struggling with this to start, start to become a student of addiction, to start seeing it through this lens. This is one of the powerful ways of breaking free uh, is, is to, to pull back the layers and realize what's underneath it. Uh, what's, what's going on? Why, why do people actually become addicted to certain things? But, but let, me, let me get into some of this uh, here. Obviously, I've only got one sermon to cover this, so I can't get into everything, but let me tackle a few big points. When we, we become addicted to something because we initially get exposed to what can be called a super stimuli or something that is hyper-pleasurable. You get exposed to something, and there's, there's a whole range of things that give you a strong hit, give you a powerful sensation and send you skyrocketing and you feel incredible. You feel elated. So it can happen with, you know, nicotine is one. Think of nicotine. Alcohol is obviously one. Even like refined sugar or high fructose corn syrup, you know, all these things, you know, these things that give us a, 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 some kind of hit, some kind of high. Obviously pornography, different drugs, those kind of things. They, 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 they hijack our nervous system and, and skyrocket us up we get this super stimulation, which is way beyond anything that we should have. It's, it's actually it's bad for us. Now, maybe some people are kind of weird with the things that they get off on, but if, if you're a clean freak, maybe your drug of choice is like housework or something, but that would, that, that would be a good addiction to have. And if you want to practice that addiction in my house, you're welcome to come uh, anytime and, uh, and do that there. So, um, but, but here's the problem is you get exposed to a super stimuli, which is... Which, the human body cannot maintain, you cannot sustain, you cannot stay in that place of, of experiencing something like that. And, and, and porn, what porn does is porn takes something that God has made, something beautiful, something intimate that should be in private, should be a private thing, it should be an exclusive thing. So only between husband and wife, it should be private and exclusive, and it should be a joyful sharing of intimacy, of two people getting to know each other and learning to love each other. It should be that, and what, what pornography does is it, it turns it into a, a, a hyper-stimulant. It, it, it does things with it, and that there are an illusion, that they're complete illusions. It's a completely fake environment that's, that's created. And then basically, whatever the addiction is, whatever the super stimulus is, if it's pornography or something else, your brain gets rocketed up to this, this height because you're getting such dopamine hits, such flooding of, of these addictive chemicals in your own brain. And what happens then is, not too long after that, you crash. You crash, and you don't go down to where you were before. You don't go back to baseline. You go lower than baseline. You go much lower than baseline. And that leaves us with a real empty feeling, real despair, and, and sense of shame, sense of emptiness. We, we, we plummet. We, we go low. We, 
we just feel, feel bad. And, and then the way we want to cope with that feeling of feeling low and feeling bad, the way we want to cope is we then turn back to the super stimulus, whatever it may be. You could, I mean, it can be sugar for people. I mean, we all got our vices. We turn back to something that, that gave us that hit in the first place, and then we're on this yo-yo, this constant yo-yo of getting this big hit, not realizing that then the big hit makes us crash, and we feel terrible about ourselves. So then we're in this awful positive feedback loop that just keeps building and keeps building and keeps building. The promise of a super stimuli, whatever it may be, is always a lie. It always does the opposite of what it tells you it's going to do. So if you think about something like caffeine, all right, now don't hate me for saying this, people love their coffee and we just reintroduced coffee again on Sunday mornings and people were very happy about it, so I'm praying for you, so <laughs> nothing wrong. Coffee's one of those interesting ones, right? Actually, yeah, anyway, let's not get into that. But, um, but, but here's the thinking of coffee is, oh, I'm, it's, it's the afternoon, I'm feeling sluggish, feeling a little like I'm lacking energy, I need to refocus my, my mind, I'm going to have a coffee to pick me up. Does it pick you up? It does. It does pick you up. But then what happens afterwards? It makes you crash lower than before. And if you're really sensitive to it or you have it later in the day, it makes you sleep worse because you can't then fall asleep properly, especially if you're watching screens and other stuff. It affects your sleep. And then you're groggy the next day. So you're like, well, I need more of it to pick me up. See, this is the, this is, that's an example of how super stimulating. And we're, we're a culture. We just love all the stimulation, all the things that can just shoot me up, pick me up, little, I just take a pill for this, little thing for this, little thing for that, and boom, I'm good to go. But even, even, even with, with like refined sugar, you know, it, it can be, and, and again, coffee and sugar, these things obviously, you know, these aren't sinful bad things. I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture. I'm trying to help us understand the nature of addiction, all right, to how we, how we think about it. So even something like, let's say, cake, all right? You might say, well, cake's fun. You, know, you have cake on your birthday. So if I, I want to celebrate, or I want to have a good, you know, I want to feel good, I feel, I feel a bit depressed, a little bit sad, so I'm going to have, have cake. Or maybe I feel bad every day, so I'm going to have a donut every day or a piece of cake every day because then it's going to feel like my birthday. And then I'm going to feel really good. And instead of feeling really good about myself, actually, I end up feeling worse about myself because this is promising me something. It's promising me that it's going to give me something, the very thing that it's promising it's going to give me, it always takes away from me. It always takes it away from me. So I end up actually hating myself. I hate the way I look because of what I've in that with refined sugar in terms of my diet. I hate the way I look. I hate the way I feel. I feel sluggish. I feel out of place, feel uncomfortable in my skin, all those different things. Now, as it relates to pornography, some people will go down a similar pathway with these things. And the promise that it gives, so, so even one, you know, a thing that seems silly to me, but maybe not to some, but some people might say, well, isn't it educational? Can't you learn things from it? You know, get some experience ahead of time, something like that. Um, yeah, there's a reason that it's not featured in any school curriculum anywhere, right? There's a, there's a good reason for that. Also, people will say, well, doesn't it relieve stress? It's a good stress reliever, right? It doesn't harm anyone. There's no harm to it. Stress reliever. These are the promises that it gives us, but they're lies. So actually, pornographic use leads to, can lead to sexual dysfunction, can lead to brain fog. It can lead to uh, wasting enormous amounts of time. I mean, the amount that you get, people talk about being in a, in a porn bubble where you don't realize how much time has actually passed when you're trapped in that place. Um, it 
just can destroy marriages. It can just destroy so many things in people's lives. The thing is, there's no, to say there's no harm to it ignores the harm it's doing to you, but also ignores an industry that takes advantage of women and men, boys and girls, who are enslaved to this industry and who are people who are being mistreated and abused, and once they get to a certain age, will be discarded or they're not useful enough, or whatever it might be, whatever happens. To participate in that, I mean, there's so much gross, terrible things around it. It takes away the very things that it promises to give us. It destroys the very things it promises to give us. So any addiction, especially pornographic addiction, it's not, ultimately, it, it doesn't become about seeking the pleasure. There's always the aspect to it, of course, of being driven towards pleasure, of being driven towards some hyper-stimulation. Um, it more so becomes about escaping the emptiness because it leaves us so hollow, so destroyed, so damaged that it becomes about, I've just got to escape this terrible thing and that's the best way out. That's the quickest, fastest, most comforting way out that I know. That's what it becomes. So how do we, how do we break free? How do we get freedom? The answers are in the Bible here in these verses. We've got to realize something. We, got, we, we have to learn something about our identity because this ultimately is an internal change that has to happen in us. Oftentimes we want to look for external changes and some things can be helpful and some things are appropriate, yes. But the biggest change is an internal change. Something in here has to shift for there to be a change. Verse 3, we didn't read it, but I want to go, verse, we started at verse 5, but I want to read verse 3 that just came before it. It says this, it says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, we talked about this last week on Easter Sunday, how through the death and resurrection of Jesus, when he was nailed to the cross, our sin was nailed there with him. When he was buried in the tomb, our sin was buried, therefore, with him in the tomb. When he rose again, our sin was left there, and now we're alive with him. So when it says you have died, it's past tense. Something something specific, something objective has happened in the past that has broken the power of sin in your life and in my life. If we believe, if we put our faith in Jesus, the power of sin has been broken. Now, we still live in a fallen world, so we're still susceptible to temptation, so we're still weak and we're still, we can be deceived by things and we can be tricked by things and we can, we still have, you know, there's temptations of the flesh, there's the, the influence of the world upon us, the demonic powers that can tempt us as well, all these things that can tempt us and pull us away. But this objective truth is the key to finding freedom from all sin, and especially the key in something like pornographic addiction. The freedom is truly grasping this new identity that I have the life of Christ in me. That is who I am now. That identity, that reality has so much power to it. I, I wish you could, if, if you're not convinced of it yet, if you haven't figured it out yet, you've got to go on a journey to under, this is the key right here. If you, in the future, you ever think back, to remember, oh, there's that one time I went to church and that guy talked about porn and it was very interesting, but I'm not sure exactly what the takeaway was. This is the biggest thing right here, is, is understanding 
you have to allow the old identity, the old identities that have been crucified with Christ, they want to cling to us. They want to convince us that they're still, they, they still have power over us. They want to deceive us that we are still of their nature, but we are no longer of their nature. We've been transferred from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. We, were, we died with Christ. Past tense, we're now alive forevermore with Christ. So if you're not a believer, this is the great, a great reason to come into the Christian faith is you can be set free from evil, have hope forevermore, know God forevermore, understand your purpose and meaning in life, all those good, glorious, wonderful things. We're born again. We're born again. This is the great, the great truth. So we have to let the old identities die because they want to cling to us. And sometimes we haven't gotten freedom because we're stuck in this place of clinging on to the old identity and not clinging on to the new identity. And so that's why at the beginning of this, I said, you've got to open your mind. Because if you have a closed mind to this, you can actually inhibit the power of this truth from working in your own life and actually bringing freedom. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here, the old identity. Perhaps you've thought this before about other people or about yourself. Maybe you thought, well, I struggle with this, with, with pornography or something else because, well, I kind of have an addictive personality. I have an addictive personality. You ever said those words over yourself before or somebody else said those words over you before? Well, I just have, I'm that kind of person. I just want to tell you, that is a lie. Nothing in the Bible says that. Even, I mean, the idea of personalities, of course, you know, is something, you know, it's something we discovered. You know, it's not necessarily directly talked about in the Bible in that way, but it's a lie to say that, you know, that some people have an addictive personality. We're the human race can be summed up in, in one word, is that really, is that we're all addicts in one sense, that we all have our vices, we all have things that we cling to for security, that we go to for comfort and for, uh, to, to tell us who we are and to, to validate us. Studies have proven this too. They've done studies on this. To, 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 there's no test you can give somebody that just by answering the questions, you could predict that, that they would be an addict, that they would have some kind of addiction. So science tells us it's not true. The Bible has always told us it's not true. So if you've believed, well, I'm just, I have this kind of addictive personality. You, it's in my family line. Everybody's got addict, addiction in their family line. You, it doesn't take long. You can just dig back a little ways in your family line. You'll find an addict. They're there. You'll find them. Everybody has this. Everybody's susceptible to these kinds of things. No one's special in this way. We're all, but we might have different vices that we're more um, susceptible to. Some people's vice might be something over here. It might be, you know, maybe porn is your vice in particular. Maybe, you'll, maybe you think, well, I, you know, I'm prone to all of them. Like, okay, that's fine. Recognize that. But that doesn't mean you have an addictive personality. That doesn't mean you're more given to them than someone else. The true identity that I'm alive in Jesus, that true narrative, that true story of who you are now, that has to become paramount. That, that's the power that can set you free. So as it relates to pornography, there's kind of two sides to this, or any addiction, but there's kind of two sides to this. There's the physiological aspect of the addiction, and then there's the spiritual aspect of it. The physiological side of it is what we tend to think is the biggest thing. Oh, my body craves something, like, like I'm a drug user. My body is addicted to something, and my brain's been wired a certain way to seek out certain images or certain things. And so, you know, that's, that's where the craving comes from. That's where the addiction comes from. 
Um, and yes, there's a spiritual battle here, but that's not really the big thing. We've got it the wrong way around. The, the, the physical side of this is the smaller portion of it. The spiritual side is the bigger side. That's where the main battle lies. Because the physical addiction, if you've, ever, like if you've given up, let's say you drank coffee a lot, and then you've given it up before. I'm sure there's been people in here. You ever given, given up coffee for a time? Right? What happens? It take, how long does it take to get over it? A few days? A week? Right? You have headaches for a little bit, and then it goes away. Right? And you're like, you know, now, that's the physical side of it going away, but there's a mental side of it where you want the comfort, the warm thing, and the color and the smell, and you, it makes you feel good about yourself. That's, that's like the spiritual side of it. See, the physical side of it is very small. So even something with pornographic use where your brain is getting wired a certain way and you're kind of... Um, almost greasing the tracks of your mind to, be, to, to respond in a certain way to something. Science has now discovered with neuroplasticity that it only takes three weeks of no porn use for your brain to recover. People used to think, I'm too far gone. I've consumed this for years and years and years. There's, there's no hope for me. I have an addictive personality. My brain's shot. It's, all the... it's not true. Let those lies melt off of you. Let them fall off of you today and live into the true reality. This, the physiological side of it, yes, there is some pull there. Yes, there is something in your body that makes you crave something that, that's bad fit for us. That's true. But the bigger battle is the spiritual side of it. It's the false beliefs we have. It's the false beliefs we have. This is what we've got to get into our minds and into our hearts to truly be free. And let me give you a big one, a really big one. Something that's helped me, actually. To give up pornography or whatever it may be, to give it up is not a sacrifice. See, we believe the lie, I need this, I deserve this, this comforts me, this helps me, this relieves me in some way, but, and therefore, therefore we enter the process, the, even the idea of giving it up or entering the process of giving it up makes us feel bad, you know, negative in the first place, where actually we need to start from the complete opposite perspective. We need to imagine what it's like to be free. Imagine if you're enslaved to something and you can't say no to it and it controls your, your daily routine, it controls your life, you feel a lot of shame about it. Imagine, imagine waking up one morning and thinking, I'm being free. Think, imagine what it's like to wake up and be absolutely free and say, I, I, I don't actually need to do this anymore. Like, like something's changed, a light switch has been flipped in me, and, and I'm, 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 a diff, I'm different now. Like, this happens to people, and the way this happens to people is they get a hold of their true identity. They truly understand what has happened to them in Jesus, that the power of sin has been broken. Yes, you're still, still susceptible to temptation, but because it's been broken, when the temptation comes, you can say no to it. You actually have the power in Christ to say no to it. And so part of the, the, the power of it is broken in understanding this. It's not a sacrifice to give it up. Because we believe we're going to go, I'm going to miss out. I'm going to be without it. And, you know, I mean, do, you, do we think that people that live in parts of the world that don't have internet, that they're really missing out on this? Like, they're free. They're free, well, free from this. And they have other problems, you know. No one's perfect. But at least they're free from this. The last thing we would want for them would be to give them internet, to, give them, to get them addicted to something like this. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that it's a sacrifice to give up sin. Instead, it's, a, it's an enjoyable, freeing, glorious thing to say no to sin. 
See, we have this, this, this idea that, that, that resist sin is like, it's so hard, it's so difficult, I just have to barely hang on. All I have to do is barely hang on and resist. And then, oh, if I just go long enough, then one day it'll change. That's completely the wrong way to think about it. We're already, if we're thinking that way, we've already bought into the lie that this has power over us. The power has already been broken. The power has already been broken. So our culture kind of piles in on this. So we have our own thoughts and our own flesh that we deal with. We have temptations from demonic forces as well that really want us to do this stuff. But we also have the influence of the world. And honestly, we're brainwashed by our culture. Our culture has brainwashed us. That tells us that sexual experience is like the most important thing that you could have. That if you don't have that, there's something wrong with you, right? A movie like uh, 40-year-old virgin, that, that movie, that the idea of that movie is to mock people who, you know, um, haven't been successful in, you know, to the world standard, successful in, in relationships in that regard. But actually, 40-year-old version is a triumph. You have your dignity, you have your self-respect, no STDs, and you didn't have to wax your chest. <laughs> Let me ask a really obvious question. Is sexual pleasure and sexual experience... How important is it? If you made a list of really one of the most important things in the world, it really shouldn't even be in the top 10. How, imp how important is it to, to experience sexual feelings? How important? Now we're human beings, so we're going to experience them, right? We're, we, we, are, we are sexual creatures, so it's going to happen. You're going to experience God's made us, you know, there's a good expression of that. So we, we can't erase it, we can't get rid of it. But how important really is it? Sexual feelings will pass. You know that? They can pass, you can experience them, and they can be very intense and very strong. We all know that. Well, most of us know that. But we actually don't have to act on them. They, they will eventually leave us. They will eventually pass on from us. You know what matters more? Is living for God. Serving other people. Having meaningful work to do. Being generous. Making a difference in the world building friendships with other people, being involved in a church community, shining the light of the, you know, sharing the, the grace of Jesus with people, talking about our faith. You know, there's, there's so many more important things in life that really, really matter. A, a fleeting sensation, it's not important. It's not important. To get this internal change, maybe you need to seek out Christian counseling. Maybe, you need, maybe that, that's a step for you. Maybe you need to go to rehab because it's an addiction. Maybe you need an accountability partner. Maybe you need to do a 12-step program like Greg mentioned, something like SA or something like that. You need, you just, whatever it is, go nuclear. Treat it like I've, 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 got, like I've got to kill something and it's going to take all of my energy to do it. If I don't, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill me. If I don't, it will kill me. It will continue to destroy me. So I have to go after it. Not only are we supposed to put it to death, we're also supposed to live into the good. You know, it's really hard. If I tell you, don't think of a purple elephant. Do not, don't do it. Stop it. Don't think about it. Don't imagine a purple elephant right now, right? You're all thinking of a purple elephant, right? It's really hard not to do it. So it's actually, it's not, if, you, if all your energy is just, I've got to stop, I've got to stop, I've got to stop, that's, that's only half of it. You have to activate and live into the good things. And so it tells us here to, be compassionate 
to forgive each other, to not, don't lie to each other. I love that in, in, in Greg's secrets video that he, he said, you know, I want to continue to tell the truth if there is an issue. I, you know, truthfulness is important. Don't, don't lie to each other. Have grace. There's all these good things that we've got to activate to live into. To, uh, it says in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Listen. It says here that we are chosen and beloved. Now, this is a great mystery in the Bible because it's saying, <laughs> don't walk in these ways anymore, right? It says, put them away, right? It says, put to death sexual morality. It's talking to Christians and it's saying, put to death any sexual immorality in you. But then it says, you are chosen. <laughs> How can this be? Verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. How can it say, put to death evil things in you, and then in the very next sentence say, you are holy and beloved? This is the true nature of the gospel. It's not our holiness. <laughs> it's a substitution. Jesus went to the cross and said, I'll give you all my righteousness. I'll give it to you as a free gift. I'll die in your place and I'll take all of your sin and shame on myself. And it took Greg a while to, to get to that place of realizing, oh, I, I thought my faith had to be earned. I thought I had to keep working at it. I thought I had to be good enough to come to God. It's completely the opposite way. The only way to approach God is with all of your sin, every single piece of your sin towards God. He's got a, a throne of grace that we can approach. We need to respond to this gracious God of ours who wants to set us free and help us today. I hope that this sermon has helped you. I hope that if you're struggling with this is your battle, that this will give you permission today. you got to tell someone. You need to admit it. You need help with it. you got to take it more seriously. you got to go get murderous about it. Respond today. You can respond on your Connect card. You can respond, uh, you can turn in this uh, actual physical one, or you can do the digital one, text in the word enjoy to 94,000. If you want to talk to somebody, you want to get prayer, whatever it is, reach out, respond, take a step today.